Thank you for joining us again for the latest episode of KPMG's podcast channel, The Future of Audit. As always, I'm your host, Larry Bradley, KPMG's Global Head of Audit, and I am delighted that you are here with us today as we dive into current topics facing the audit profession today and how we can be prepared for what's to come. We've got some wonderful guests lined up for you today as we dive into the topic of how quality corporate reporting is the keystone of the capital markets that enables investors and shareholders to make informed decisions. But now the situation is beginning to get more and more complex as the scope of decision useful information expands to include ESG. I'd like to take this opportunity to quickly introduce you to our special guests who are going to spend the next 30 minutes or so giving us some insight into the responsibilities that both auditors and preparers respectively have to ensure quality corporate reporting. Welcome and hello, firstly to Gabriela Diaz, Chair of the International Ethics Standards Board for Accountants, or known to many as IESBA, Jane Williamson, the Global Head of Audit Regulatory Affairs at KPMG, and finally, Mike Shannon, Global Head of ESG Assurance at KPMG. So I tell you, I'm going to start with Jane first. Jane, I'm going to ask you to help set the scene here for us and explain to those that are listening to this podcast what role that auditors and preparers play to help ensure high-quality reporting. Well, thanks, Larry. And I I think you've hit the nail on the head. So in setting the scene, quality corporate reporting is critical as it provides the information that shareholders relied on to make decisions. And each of auditors, preparers, and corporate board members, also known as those charged with governance, also have key roles in preparing and ensuring quality information. So quality reporting, I say, begins with the preparers as their responsibility is broad and that they are responsible for the preparation and control of the full suite of compliant corporate reporting, not just financial information, but all corporate reporting. And I think as we see, corporate reporting is no longer focusing solely on financial information, but on a broad spectrum of information, the underlying operation and management But the preparers of the information, you really need to have sound systems and controls of and how the company manages the risks around this, because that all feeds into the ultimate integrity of the corporate reporting. And whereas if I start to think about what the auditor's role in this, we have a role in the corporate reporting of serving the public interest in providing the independent assurance on components of corporate reporting, and that that's the reporting that the stakeholders rely on. So an example of that would be the audits of financial statements that you see in annual reports. And then lastly, if I move back to the corporate boards and audit committees or those charged with governance, their role is critical and they have a responsibility to oversee both the auditors as well as management and make sure both are fulfilling their responsibilities for the ultimate quality of the corporate reporting. So. As you can see from that, we all have an initial role to play and quality reporting relies on us all doing a good job, just not one one participant in the system. So Dana, I'm gonna pick up on something that you mentioned. You used the terminology, full suite of reporting. That seems to put a 
pretty significant burden on the part of the preparer, particularly in terms of additional requirements that are now coming into play, such as ESG disclosures or other non-financial disclosures. So any thoughts with respect to how complex the landscape is getting, particularly on ensuring that there's decision useful information? Yeah, Larry, I think good point. The landscape is very complex with just all the numbers of different rules, regulations that is out there, different countries that we're all operating in. And so then I, I think where you really need to come back to is making sure that whoever you are, you're really understanding the underlying standards and that we're all held to the to the same level of account for quality and consistency. I think a big area that's going to come up on this is just around ESG reporting and, and where all the different jurisdictions go with ESG reporting and who, who plays in that field and who provides assurance on it. If I speak from um, an auditor's perspective, is it's whether it's us or um, whether it's some other party that is allowed to assure ESG reporting in different jurisdictions. I know Mike is going to be ready to jump in at some point in time on ESG assurance, and we're going to get to that in, in just a little bit. But one thing that I would interject on, just adding to what you described, is when I think about high-quality reporting, I think about four things, systems, processes, controls, governance. Those are the big four that I constantly think about when I speak to audit committees, when I speak to executives, when I speak to auditors, when I speak to regulators, because as you indicated, it is an entire ecosystem. But before we get to Mike on the question that I alluded to, Gabriella, I'd like to go to you next. I'd love to hear about the International Ethics Standards Board for Accountants, IESBA, which you lead, and in particular, get your thoughts on this. And we're also interested in hearing about IESBA's upcoming projects and what, in your view, will help strengthen the public trust. Gabriella? I'd just like to link with what you just said about the four elements which are needed for high-quality information. I think, and you will not be surprised to hear me saying that, that ethics is the most critical piece of this information mosaic. Without it, it's very difficult to ensure high quality information, be it information being reported and prepared by the preparers, be it uh, information being assured by the auditor. Ethics is a critical part of this infrastructure and of this mosaic that uh, you just mentioned. So that's uh, that's what, uh, that is what, uh, what is at the center of the attention and of the mission of the ESBA is to make sure that ethics is there, part of the process, part of the approach, guiding behaviors both from preparers and auditors, and something that ensures alignment between the different professionals in the different regions, in the different jurisdictions, in face of the different threats, challenges, etc. This is not about morals, this is about translating into very concrete things and concrete actions, an agreed framework, an agreed uh, approach to accepted behaviors and positive actions that all the professionals should abide by. This will help creating recognition, uh, alignment, consistency, but above all, will help ensuring the right behaviors when preparers or auditors face, and they face them very, very many times, some ethical dilemmas. 
So this is what is critical for the years back. Ethics is not about blue sky thinking. It's not a wishful thinking. It's not a nice to have. It's about very concrete things. And these very concrete things are translated into codes of ethics, into concrete standards, into concrete norms that uh, support that alignment, that behavioral alignment be between the different professionals. The ESMA, what the ESMA does is to develop these standards, these ethics and independent standards, both for preparers and auditors or those performing uh, assurance. And more currently, with respect to sustainability information, we are developing the ethics and independent standards for sustainability assurance in ways that it can be used by any professionals, be them professional accountants or from other professions. Jane just alluded to this fact. We are neutral with respect to what is good and what is bad, but what is for sure needed is that the public interest is served by having the same level of uh, requirement, the same ethical standard for anyone providing the same services. Now, with respect to what the ESBA is doing, the ESBA is doing many things, to be frank. Very recently, we focused very much on uh, reviewing the ethics code in the part of independence, mostly, as you may know, in uh, non-assurance services, fees, um, long association, uh, engagement team and group audits, but also on no cloud. These have been the, the, the most recent projects and technology as well. Currently, we are focused mostly on two areas, sustainability. We are developing the standards for sustainability reporting and sustainability assurance. They will be put out for consultation, for public consultation, with a view of having them approved and issued by the end of 2024. Connected to this project, we are also developing a project on experts, on the use of experts by auditors. This was becoming more and more necessary as the world becomes more, more complex, as the auditors have to deal with very different matters, be it technology, be it tax planning, and more recent sustainability. It's more and more obvious that even if the firms become multidisciplinary, they will make more use additional use of experts. And that creates a need to have a very strong and clear framework for these experts. And we are also finalizing ethics standards for tax planning and related services that is deemed to be approved and finalized by the end of this year, which is also a very important project. Now, how do we look to the future? Our strategy and work plan for 24-27 will hopefully be approved in December. And there we have identified above everything two areas of work culture and governance of the firms and the possible expansion of the scope of the code, which means the ethics code in some parts and in some ways being also applicable to other professionals. These are going to be the two main work streams or lines of reflection and work over the next strategy. All in all, with an objective which is serving the public interest by responding timely and in an effective way to the developments happening around us. Wow, Gabriella, that is an incredibly ambitious standard-setting agenda. I just wrote down a couple of things. Experts, as you indicated, as the firms are operating in a multidisciplinary model, even more important for that particular part of your standard-setting agenda, but sustainability, technology, tax planning. So I don't know how you find the time to get everything done. You have a lot on your plate. 
Two things that you mentioned that I want to pick up on. First of all, you're absolutely right. I should speak about systems, processes, controls, and governance, but underlined, underpinned by ethics. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I noted that you used the word alignment many times. Alignment between the preparers, alignment on a cross-border basis, alignment between the auditors. Can you maybe just give me a little bit more flavor on why this alignment is, is so important to IESBA? Sure, Larry. This alignment is important because these are uh, misalignments, actually, not only between the different people providing the same services, but also between uh, the different expectations that different people have on this work. First, this alignment is important at an internal level of the companies with respect to the preparers and the preparation of corporate reporting. It has to be clear what is the behavior that is expected from anyone within a company involved in the preparation of corporate reporting, irrespective of whether they are preparers or not preparers. They all should be subject to the same high ethical standard with respect to dealing with pressures, with conflicts of interests, with the need to be objective, with the need to be to have the enough competence, due care, professionalism, etc. There's no reason why some of them, what accountants are expected to have a certain behavior and the others are not. There should be alignment between preparers and auditors. First, with respect to the objective of what they are doing. All, uh, both them are working to provide investors and other decision makers with high quality, reliable, trustworthy, credible information that supports the decision-making process. This is the same for preparers and for auditors. They have the same objective. So they should be aligned around the same behavior, the same, they need to have the same behavioral attitude and approach with respect to preparing the information and assuring the information. This all goes into the good result for the public interest that they should assure. And there should be an alignment between what the companies themselves expect from the auditors and what the auditors can provide. I know the auditors usually speak about the expectations gap, but it is, this is mostly about the, the expectations from the public and the users and etc. But companies themselves have expectations on auditors that should be balanced. And this is only possible if they abide by the same ethical rules or norms, because sometimes companies expect auditors to give more or to give less than auditors are supposed to give or provide. So this ethical behavior with respect to what is right and what is wrong, what they should be doing and not doing has to be the same within the companies and the management and the auditors. So, and finally, International alignment, doing audits in the United States, it's different from doing audits in Botswana or Thailand or Singapore, but there must be a common asset, a common infrastructure of standards that they all recognize as being a common expectation or to set a common expectation to them all with respect to the behaviors. That facilitates the work of the auditor. That facilitates the life of investors. That facilitates the life of regulators. And that 
provides a better result for the public interest. Perfect. Gabriella, thank you. Okay, but I'm not going to let Mike off the hook here. <laughs> Mike, we've been weaving in a number of comments regarding sustainability as it relates to what's on Gabriella's IESBA standard setting agenda. Jane made reference to the complexities of reporting by adding additional non-financial reporting requirements, ESG-related so the first question I got for you, like who does the work when it comes to assurance on ESG? What is your view for the benefits of whether you have a single audit firm or assurance firm doing the work or multiple? Well, depending on the jurisdiction, some of the regulations do allow for other providers to perform the assurance. I believe there are significant advantages to having one firm perform both the financial statement audit and the non-financial sustainability assurance. And those are primarily focused around quality and efficiency. Performing high quality ESG assurance, it requires the same rigor demanded in a financial statement audit. And that includes understanding of the strong link between the financial and non-financial information. We've been seeing real life examples of our professionals being able to connect the dots and in some cases, even identify discrepancies that might exist between assumptions, data sets, data sources of both the financial and non-financial information. And these dots, Larry, can only be connected by using the same provider. And to touch on your earlier comment, ESG assurance providers, and I'll use the same terminology that we've been repeating, uh, need to have the same level of deep understanding of a company's business model, those systems, processes, controls, and governance that we know is required for a financial statement audit. And having one provider uh, perform both the assurance and the financial statement audit will eliminate redundancy, connect those dots related to risks, and generate both cost and time efficiencies for both the provider and for our clients. You know, it's interesting, we recently released our KPMG ESG Assurance Maturity Index report. And that was a survey of 750 companies. And of those companies, only 26% of them, their own opinion, felt like they had a clear audit trail to support their non-financial information. So it's really critical that the providers are focused on that and focused on making sure that that level of information is up to standards, not only for it to be assured, but for companies to be able to report that information. And therefore, they're less ready for ESG assurance right now. Okay, Mike. So but let me kind of take the other side of that just for a second, because I'm sure that you have heard that there's, you know, basically a num number of cynics that are saying, hey, big four and auditing profession, you're pushing a single provider just so you can earn more fees. What's wrong with having another firm come in is is this what are you seeing in the marketplace and have you seen any early indications of whether entities companies are bringing in a different assurance provider for esg or they're using their their audit firm so i've thrown a couple of things at you uh, what do you think so like i said earlier larry the rules allow for it so we do see some places where there are other assurers or other firms doing it. I know we as a, as a firm are providing assurance to some of our non-audit clients, but I think the trend is going to continue to evolve that it's going to naturally migrate to the auditor. We're seeing actually some legislation in certain EU countries that may actually mandate that the auditor potentially do the, do the assurance. But as we get more towards integrated reporting and 
it's linked together and there'll be one, you know, ultimately I think the vision for all of us is that there's going to be one report, just like we have uh, for public filings that everything is going to come into one document. It's going to naturally evolve to the auditor doing that work. And for all the reasons that I said before, it makes the most sense, I believe, for the auditor to be doing that, that assurance. Now, I recognize some of the contrary uh, perspectives that others may have, and and I'm sure there, there are good reasons for some of that. But from a personal perspective, I just think the quality and efficiency are the two main drivers of why it needs to be the auditor. Sounds like a bit of an integrated reporting concept that you're speaking to, Mike. Yeah, and that's where I think we're ultimately going to end up. As this continues to evolve, as there's more metrics coming into play, as the regulatory environment continues to mature, we're going to end up in a, in a model where there's integrated reporting, I would say, ultimately for everybody. Okay, so I'm going to come back to Jane on a question, but then Mike and Gabriella, I'd like you to weigh in as well on this question. So, you know, we clearly favor harmonization and consistency across borders. We've talked about that. I think it's good for auditors. We think it's good for preparers, at least to the best extent possible. But I think we have to recognize that in a complex world, there's going to be unique legal, political, cultural, and societal factors that'll cause some differences. So I think we're going to continue to have uh, some complexity in that regard. And clearly the debate is going to continue between the balance between an auditor's responsibility and those of management or the preparers when it comes to corporate reporting. But here's my question for you, Jane. First, I'd like to get a sense from you and then the group, where do we go from here? What's next? Well, Larry, good question and, and not an easy one, I would say. I think is, you know, I've listened to our conversation, Gabriella, I think you touched on international alignment, which I think is critical. Larry, you've set it up on kind of some of what our beliefs are. And I think it is really important as best we can across jurisdictions is really figuring out how we can best harmonize public policy across jurisdictions to ensure that whether you're the auditor, whether you're the preparer, or whether you're those charged with governance being the boards that are have the fiduciary responsibilities over the public interest entities, that those accountabilities are all clearly defined and that we are held to the same level of accountability or responsibility. Understanding there will have to be some differences for specific laws, cultures across different countries. I think if I take a higher level step thinking back about this, I think some things that can be done, we've talked about how integrated financial reporting is in the corporate reporting. I think the more that we can do around that to have consistent levels of assurance over that, that's going to be good and help serve the public interest and help give the investors the information they need. I think, and we've touched on this earlier, that no matter who the entity, company, audit firm, boutique firm is providing assurance, that they all need to be held to the same level of quality standards so that the investors know that they're getting a consistent level of quality information. And Mike spoke briefly on who's who's best suited to do the work around ESG. I think there's lots of debate around that, but I think it's critical that audit committees, they, they're the ones that know their companies best so that if there is a decision between that, that they they should be have a critical voice in 
whether it's appointment of the auditors or appointment of another firm, I think that, you know, but I would also say on that, if you if they choose to separate the audit mandate from other assurance, then there could be some risk to qualities, as Mike has pointed out. And I think, you know, if we step back and look at all the people involved in the reporting, whether it's the preparers, whether the auditors, I think we can't lose sight of the preparers have the unique ability to adopt a preventative stance in ensuring that things don't go wrong, where the auditors are more or less the detective stance on that. So if I think about that, it's really how critical is reporting over internal controls. And I think that the more assurance that we could have over that also helps serve the investors at large on the quality of reporting. And then I would say my last thought around this, it sounds like a lot of regulation in that, but whatever regulations are brought in, that we have to have due process to weigh the benefits of the cost because we need to ensure that the benefits of any regulations that are brought in do do outweigh the cost. And I think we can see some some studies from past regulations where in assurance over internal control, we have seen that that's resulted in a lower cost of capital to companies. So that's that's a win. So covered a lot of territory there, the waterfront, Larry, but those are some of my thoughts on, on what's next and what we can work on going forward. Thanks, Jane. I'm going to ask the others to take out your crystal ball and tell me what do you believe is next or what would you like to see next? Well, I may start, Larry, with respect to the topics that you have just covered. On the first one about who should be assuming covering the sustainability assurance area, well, I'm kind of neutral in that respect because I truly believe that what should be the criteria and the trigger for any choice and decision is quality. This is what should lead the, the decision in that respect. So we may have our own convictions about what is better, and uh, but I think that even having been a regulator and having seen many things that makes me more probably a little bit stricter in some respects, I really believe that we should not have rules and less and norms unless when they are necessary and here what i think is that the the, the room should be open for the different uh, possibilities companies should be allowed to choose if they want to have one uh, auditor or and that one someone else uh, uh, assuring the information or the same this should be a decision for the company provided that uh, all the risks that this may create are appropriately addressed this creates opportunities, just like Michael and Jen mentioned, the same entity knowing the better the company and the, everything about it. And because we are heading uh, toward, uh, towards integrated reporting, and that's a, an advantage. There are also risks and risks uh, related with the independence, but the Code of Ethics also deals with that. The sustainability standards that we are developing clearly allow the auditor to perform the, and to, uh, the, the sustainability assurance, no problem with that. It's not prohibited, but of course there are some provisions throughout the code which will apply and should be taken into considerations. Some guard guardrails uh, with respect to some independence threats or risks. Uh, one related with fees, for instance, fee dependence, long association of the firm's personnel. These things that already exist in the code, of course, should apply same way. And the, 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 the firms must be aware of the new risks that this create and address them appropriately. Then what would I like to see in the future, namely with respect to this balance between management and auditor? I think it was uh, your second question. 
I'd like to see them again abiding by the same ethical standards. This is really an objective and I think that it's an achievable one to have everybody within the company, preparers, host charge with governance, management, having the same ethical guardrails, uh, the same ethical approach, and therefore not create any risks of pressure, bias, conflicts of interest, etc., inside the organization. And this, of course, will translate into the right balance between management and auditor responsibilities. Because uh, if they are all in agreement with respect to the approach to the work and the objectives of, of the work and how it should be done, then the risks of a bad result or a disconform uh, result, it's much lower than uh, um, if they really create a baseline of values, principles, and norms which are applicable to all of them. And that's why the ESB is considering this possibility, this future work stream of expanding the scope of the code. As I mentioned, uh, we are already doing that for the sustainability assurance standards, which will be what we call professional agnostic in terms of allowing anyone to understand them and to use them if they want. There is no obligation coming from the ESBA. We don't have that power or that authority. This is for the regulators to decide who is going to be allowed to be active in this space or not, according to which criteria. We just care uh, and are concerned to provide something framework which all of them can be can use and which can create this level playing field and the appropriate approach to the public interests. This is for sustainability assurance. On the reporting side, sustainability reporting and possibly also financial reporting, what we would like to see would be a progressive gradual expansion of the application of the existing standards and future standards for accountants to others in the company, to others doing the same things, preparing information, for instance, being the CFO, providing guidelines and guidance, etc., within the company, having the same standards. The tone comes from the top preparers, uh, many times the last piece of the value, internal value chain. If, the, if there is bias in terms of the values and the principles and the norms that they have to uh, observe, that creates a, a great risk and a, a risk that the auditor will afterwards have to deal with when it comes, the moment comes for them to deal with reports which have been prepared in this in, on the basis of, of an inconsistent behavioral framework. Gabriella, thank you. Okay, we've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked about quality reporting, non-financial information, financial information. We've talked about the rise of the ESG, complexities that are created. Each of you have given a bit of a perspective on what you may see next. We've talked about who should be providing the assurance on ESG and the like. We've talked about the ambitious IESBA standard setting agenda. So now, I'm going to give each of you the opportunity to give me a final concluding thought on today's discussion. So, Gabriella, I'll go to you first with respect to any closing thoughts. Thank you very much, Larry. Our major concern at ESBA is that ethics should be should be elevated to a different level. It has to be embedded not only in the culture of the companies, but in the culture of the firms. 
in the behaviors of those preparing the information, of those assuring the information, of those providing tax planning services, but if possible, gradually create an environment where everybody doing the same thing, providing the same services or engaging in the same activities are subject to the same norms and subject to the same framework. This is the only way to protect the public interest. It's no longer enough to have a profession covered by certain ethical standards and norms and having other professionals who are not accountants but are nevertheless involved in providing the same services, not having to abide by the same rules. What I have seen as a regulator before in the capital markets and as chair of the ESBA is that still this is the critical element to elevate the quality of corporate information and to create trust within stakeholders. Great. Thank you, Gabriella. Mike, I'm going to go to you next. What is your concluding thought? So I just I just want us to all continue to focus on the fact that recognizing that the environment we're in right now is very complicated, that we're all working together for the same objective, whether it's the governments, the regulators, the standard setters, preparers, assurers, we're all working towards the end goal of high quality reporting of non-financial data that we recognize is so important to society as a whole. And it, we're going to continue on this journey now for the next several years, but let's not lose sight of the fact that we all have the same end objective, which is that level of high quality reporting of the data. It's going to be a journey. There'll be uh, there'll be bumps in the road, but ultimately we're going to get to a place where I think we're all going to feel glad that we've gone through this to get that information out to, to all the stakeholders that are looking for it. Good thoughts. Thanks, Mike. Jane, I'm going to let you have the final concluding thought. Thanks, Larry. I think the one point that we need to keep top of mind is for the financial reporting or just the corporate reporting ecosystem to to work and really work well, that we all have to acknowledge that whether you're the auditor, or the preparer, or those charged with governance, that we all have distinct responsibilities within that framework to make it work well. And we all need to be held to account for those unique or distinct responsibilities and ensure that we're all doing our job appropriately. And to Gabriella's point is making sure that where consistency in rules and regulations is needed, that we work really hard to get those in place. Gabriella, Jane, Mike, thank you so much for this discussion and especially for your time today. We've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about quality reporting, non-financial information, the rise of ESG complexities that are created, who should be providing the assurance on ESG, the ambitious IESBA standard setting agenda, and so much more. A common theme that I'm really pleased about that was discussed throughout all of the speakers' comments was around the need to serve the public interest, which is something that I am passionate about. We look forward to keeping you posted on the latest developments on responsible reporting here and via my blog on kpmg.com. Thank you all for joining us today for our fifth episode of the Future of Audit podcast. Until next time. <laughs>